Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Picture the Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Each week, we delve into the murky world of lesser-known crimes from the UK and Ireland, and occasionally we venture into renowned cases from around the globe. And today is one of those days where I venture further abroad, and we're going to be in Australia today, Rachel. Oh, I feel like you might be taking inspiration from our uh, live Patreon last last month. Quite possibly, yes. Now, if you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer. Subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice. And if you have the capability, give us a rating and review as well. It really means a world to us. And if you like it that much that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon, with our lowest tier starting at £1 per month. We release bonus content every month, and the links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes. Or visit patreon.com forward slash scenepod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash s-e-e-n-e-p-o-d. Now, we do, where possible, now release our episodes a week early for our patient supporters. So you don't have to be a time lord like Doctor Who to time travel. You just need to subscribe to us on Patreon. And there's quite a nice back catalogue going on there now. So uh, mm-hmm. you could even get through like a number of episodes um, and, yeah, enjoy enjoy some of our uh, Patreon-only um, episodes, guys. Oh, I just want to give a shout out. You just reminded me. I didn't know that such a thing called CastBox existed. And I also didn't know that you could leave reviews in there. But I found maybe four or five reviews in there from people from maybe six months ago, a year ago, so or maybe even longer. Nice. So if you're still listening to us and you left us a review on CastBox, thank you so much, especially the people who said that it's nice to hear a Northern accent on a podcast. I can't remember your name, sorry, but if you left one on CastBox, we wasn't ignoring you. I just simply didn't know it existed. But thank okay. you so much. Get, get, do, would you classify my accent as Northern too? I think that might have been a compliment for the pair of us. Oh, no, it was for the pair of us. Yeah, no, we've had people uh, message saying that they like, um, they think you are somehow related to being in Liverpool, which. Okay, not far, not far, yeah. guys. So, so yeah, no, both of us, not just me, Rachel. Lovely. So, as with any true crime podcast, though, Regardless of what you think of our voices, people are going to be hating us. I like, hate your voice, but listener discretion is always advised. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm really good, thanks, Andrew. How are you? I'm good because I'm. I've had a nice week off work, and we are recording for a very special podcast after we record this one. I'm not going to mention it because it's going to be a few weeks before we get released on there. But we mentioned it at the time. But I'm looking forward to doing that after we record this as well. Hell yeah. And can I just add, like, for the for the benefit of our wonderful, beautiful listeners, Andrew has both showered and brushed his hair this morning in preparation for said um, joining other podcasts. So I feel like that's a cause worth celebrating. It makes it sound like I never shower. I mean, I do shower at least once every two or three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and now this episode, you mentioned it earlier, Rachel, you read my mind. This episode was inspired by a recent live episode. Oh. So, if we say for you all to do so. You didn't ask me the question, though. Oh, no, you're right, I didn't. Rachel, shame on me. I'll self-flagellate later, but 
are you ready for some true crime? I am ready, Andrew. Clearly, so ready that I was not willing to let you not ask me the question. <laughs> yes. Such a bad person, aren't I? Right, no, um, you're not. If it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. Today, I'd like to take us back to March the 4th, 2008. And today, we're near Bolara in Victoria, which is in Australia. Now, Bolara, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, so if I am, I apologise. But it's a small town of around a 1,000 people, give or take, in Gippsland, Victoria, which is in the southeast of Australia. Now, it's known as a small, friendly town in which one of its largest exports to the rest of Australia is goldfish. And in March of each year, it holds the annual Bolara Folk Festival, which is free. And it's a whole day of music concert. And it also has an arts, craft and produce market on at the same time. Oh, lovely. I wouldn't yeah. mind living in Bolara. No, no, I wouldn't. Actually, when I was writing it, I wouldn't mind going there. Even though this folk festival is held in March, and in 2008 it would be in its fifth year in existence, so it would be going strong, that's not why we're in this beautiful part of Australia today. We're just outside of the town, and we're with a young couple who are in love. Julian oh. Book, Yeah, exactly. Julian Bookworld and Caroline Watson. Julian was 22 years old, he was a timber logger, and Caroline was 17 and still a high school student. A timber logger? Like a lumberjack? Yeah. A timber logger, I like it. No, that's what his job title was, yeah, but yeah, yeah lumberjack, yeah. I guess, um, I guess, like, lumberjack was made silly in Monty Python songs yes. and movies, wasn't it? So um, they, they mm. tried to make it a more serious role. Is that I'm a lumberjack and I don't care. To the, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to start singing, people. Don't turn off. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the pair had been dating for two years. But as both of them were active Christians, they believed in marriage before sex, so they hadn't yet consummated their relationship. Wow. What, what year is this based in? Sorry, Andrew. 2008. Oh, wow. Okay. Very strong religious beliefs then. Yeah. They were both keen to get married, but Caroline. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that. Do you reckon uh, do you reckon they uh, they like flashed each other in the bedroom yeah. like oh, quick, I'll show you mine? And then, you know, just like, oh, one day. <laughs> Who knows? Possibly. Um, Sorry. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, they were they're both keen to get married, but Caroline wanted to finish school first. I think it's gonna be one of those episodes, people. Sorry about this. So they planned to marry when she was 18 later in the year and when she'd finished wow. school. That's they'd, so young. It is so young, but they'd, they'd already started planning their wedding with both of them and their friends and family really looking forward to it because the pair were quite clearly in love with each other and they seemed like the perfectly matched young couple. Oh. Now, Julian wanted to do something nice for Carolyn, so he asked her parents, if he could take her to his parents' large property near Ballara for a romantic day. He told them he planned to take her there. He wanted to plant some trees with her to cement their love so as they grew older, the trees would. And the, he wanted he want... to plant his seed. <laughs> what song of you today, Rachel? And, and uh, after they planted the trees, and yeah, I guess <laughs> some seeds, um, he wanted they'd walk to a waterfall together. Oh. And once they, yeah, once they got to the waterfall, he'd planned a treasure hunt. 
with the prize being, not what you're thinking, Rachel, but with the prize being a handmade wooden platter that he made that he had covered in delicious sandwiches and other tasty picnic food. <laughs> what's, what's, your, what's your mind and mouth out there? Oh, I'm sorry. So, Stick the, me. That's okay. The idea was to sit near the waterfall, eat the food, and enjoy each other's company in a beautiful Australian countryside. So all nice, clean, wholesome activities, nothing sinful at all. Absolutely. Very much so. It's just me and my dirty mind. Sorry. Yes, exactly. It is. I'm not going to disagree. <laughs> Her parents said yes, because they really liked Julian. And they could think of nothing better for their daughter than to have her enjoy such a beautiful day together with him. And it was a beautiful day that morning on the 4th of March, 2008, as Julian drove Carol into the first spot to plant the trees. The pair of them were in Julian's four-wheel drive, and they call them utes over there, don't they, utility vehicle? Mute. Ute. Oh, no, ute, sorry. Yes, not mute. (laughs) And they were talking together and they were looking forward to the day ahead. The weather was around 30 degrees Celsius, which is around 86 degrees Fahrenheit, with no wind. And on that day, not a chance of rain. Now, oh, were... I wish we could say the same about the Great British weather at the minute. Yes, and the Irish weather too. It's just as bad. As they were driving, Julian told Carolyn that he thought he saw something in the bushes. And he thought he'd heard something. Maybe some, maybe, maybe some. <laughs> Sorry, what, remove what, that. what have you put in your coffee this morning? Um, maybe it was some wildlife in distress, and it'd be wrong to leave an injured animal if he could help. He pulled up and he told Caroline to wait in the car. He wouldn't be a moment. He'd go and check it out to see if he was right or wrong. So as he headed off to some nearby bushes, Caroline waited in the car. She was happy looking forward to a day together with her fiancé. Now, suddenly, that carefree mood she was in vanished as quickly as possible, Rachel, because as coming toward her was a man in a balacarva. Now, seeing a man in the outback without a vehicle is strange enough. Seeing one with a balacarva on in the heat, it was simply frightening. I can imagine so. And and was this just out the corner of her eye, like? No, coming. To, he saw. She saw him coming toward her. Okay, so on the wind through the windscreen of the car. Yes, well, side side window, but yeah. Okay. Now, he grabbed Caroline. He blindfolded a now petrified girl with, with duct tape. He oh, bound man. her wrists and ankles with the same duct tape, and then he cut all her clothes off. Now, Caroline thought she was going to die, and she didn't see any other option out of this. She thought. I'm going to die here. And she had no idea who this man was or what he'd done with her partner as well, Julian. Because don't forget, Julian had just disappeared. Yeah. Now, once naked, she was thrown in the back of the youth's bed. You know, like the thing they have in the back of the yeah, vehicles. The truck bed, yeah. yeah. And a six-hour journey began as she, was, <laughs> as she was driven to the Alpine National Park. Now, imagine that, Rachel. Naked, bound... In darkness, because she's blindfolded, not knowing what's happening, feeling the sun burning her body because she's out, she's not covered by the top of a car. Because and it was a long drive, six hours with no water, no brakes, nothing. 
And it's just come like completely out of the blue as well, isn't it? Like, yeah, just horrifying. Yeah, it's not like they're in the in the middle of like nowhere in the dark, and there's an edge of like uncertainty. She was blissfully yeah. happy right before. And this the poor, guy turned up. the poor girl's only seventeen as well. I know, I know. So when the kidnapper reached the national park, and in particular what we now know to be the Buchan Headwaters Wilderness Area, though obviously Carolyn didn't know where she was, she became alert again because the youth stopped. Her kidnapper grabbed her, didn't say anything to her, but he dumped her on the ground. Now she could still hear, even though she was still blindfolded. I'm just going to throw this out there. She doesn't die, people. I don't even think she's going to end up being dead. Okay. She's a a survivor in this one, which is good to hear. Yeah, so she could still hear, and she heard him get back in the vehicle and drive away. What? Now, at first, she thought she was alone, fearing (gasps) she would, and she was fearing she would die because she couldn't escape her restraints. But then she heard the man coming back. Oh, God. Now, she no longer feared she would die. She was convinced of it. I feel like, and sorry to interrupt you, but I feel like as well, how vulnerable she would have been, completely naked, blindfolded, and t- hands tied. Yeah. Like, her other senses must have been so heightened. And yeah. then at that point, to have heard that noise and think, is the man coming back? Is there someone else coming? Like, she's just completely vulnerable to anyone and anything around her, isn't she? Yeah. There's no escaping that. Yeah, exactly. What convinced her that she was going to die because she could hear the man digging. He started to dig. No, okay. she she thought that if Julian was with her, he's probably dead already. And she was about to be raped, killed, and then her body buried, never to be found again. That's what yeah. she thought was going to happen. And it's probably, as you just said, it's probably just a realistic thought process at that time, given she was naked and tied up. Because why else would you, would you be taken and yeah. here at Holbein Dog? Well, the digging stopped, Rachel, and she thought she heard a few more noises that she couldn't figure out, but then there was silence. Nothing. Now, she was thinking, had she been left? But if she had been left, why would a dig in? What had happened? She was like really confused because she couldn't see anything. Now, time passed. She doesn't know how long it passed because to her in that situation, it was a difficult concept to try and grasp because it could be minutes. It could have been hours. She doesn't really know. But suddenly she heard a voice. It was very weak, but she heard it and she thought she recognized it. And then after a moment, she knew she recognized it. It was it was Julian's voice. He was oh alive. He was alive. Now he he managed to make his way to her and he untied her. We he took her out of her uh, duct tape restraints. He was naked too. So he wasn't the assailant? Well he no, he was there naked too with her. And as and they embraced. They were both, oh, wow. Yeah, they were both really happy to be alive. Now, Carolyn was happy that he had rescued her, and she was also happy he was unharmed. He was yeah. like, she was worried about him, though, 
because she thought, and this is what she actually said, that he looked a little bit like Dracula because because he had a cut on his face, which had resulted in a lot of his face being covered with his own blood. Oh, wow. Now, he said to her that they had to leave immediately before the kidnappers came back. So oh. he, sh- he shoved a sleeping bag in her arms, telling her to grab whatever she could and run. Now, right. they, bo- they both ran. They jumped into a river, which was freezing. They Both of them still naked, remember? And yeah. they, they carried on desperate to get away. When they were far enough away, Julian would tell Carolyn what happened to him. He told her that there had been two kidnappers, not one. And when he got out of the vehicle originally, he did his best to fight them off, but they smashed him on the head with a metal bar, hence why his face was cut, before bundling him in the back of the ute with her. And by this time, he was unconscious and he was vomiting blood. When they examined what they had, while they didn't have any clothes, the sleeping bag that Caroline had rather randomly contained a toothbrush and a pillowcase that was half filled with desecrated coconut. What? Yeah, so dried coconut. Yeah, it's hard. Now, Julian had managed to... That's what Caroline had. Now, Julian had managed to grab a knife, a shovel, a jar of peanut butter, and a jar of tahini sauce. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's not really great for... They're not going to be bare grills with that, are they? But yeah. I mean, if they chose to like kill some wildlife, they'd be able to like saute and flavor the yeah. have, meat, a shawar- but... have, have a shawarma, but yeah. But um, anyway, inevitably, their conversation turned to survival, as it would, wouldn't it? I was Julian, and remember, they're in the, they're in the wilderness here in the outback. Yeah. yeah. With, Ju- with Julian believing that they wouldn't survive, so he started to try and convince Carolyn. To have sex with him for the warmth. What? Yeah, for the warmth and because they're going to die. Now, she refused, not wanting to break her religious beliefs. So he said, well, they could get married there and then in the wilderness. So before the eyes of God, they'd be man and wife before they died. Oh, well. Clutching at straws there. Yeah. Again, she refused, as she said, that's not what her parents would want. Now, she was actually believing by now that they would be saved. That, oh. God, that God would save them. And she, so she didn't want to get married like that. She wanted to do it properly in the future. Yeah, don't blame her. And Julian just couldn't understand why not, because he, for all intents and purposes, thought they were going to die out there. Now, the young lovers by now, they were missed. No one knew what had happened to them. Friends and relatives would be interviewed by the press, and they would all say the same thing. They can't have run away because they were both so happy even detailing to the press about the upcoming wedding later in the year. So a search was started. For the first four days, neighbours, friends and the police by land and air would undertake a 570-hectare search. And that was actually just on Julian's parents' property. That's how big it was, 570 hectares. And they were looking for the pair, but they couldn't find a trace. They couldn't even find the car or the vehicle. And the reason they couldn't find them, because they were hours away from where they were looking. But obviously they didn't know that. Six hours weren't they, didn't you say? Yes, it was actually 330 kilometres, roughly. Six hours driveway, yeah. Detective Sergeant Matt Gleason would say to the press that the pair had no access to money, 
did not pack any clothes for a trip, but he believed that they were still alive. He gave out the registration number of the vehicle they were travelling in. He urged people to call Crime Stoppers if they knew anything at all. Now, a letter had also been sent to Caroline's parents' house that was covered in satanic symbols, saying that the pair had been kidnapped for satanic purposes. So they knew... So the kidnapper would have known enough about Caroline and potentially would have been stalking her to know where her parents lived. Yeah, well, he knew, they knew, I assume it's a man. Uh, they, obviously, I'm going to tell you later on, but assuming it's a man, mm-hmm. he, yeah, he knew where he was to send an, wow. to send an address, uh, send a letter. So when the pair woke up on a sixth day, so by now, they'd been in the wilderness naked for six days. Oh my God, they're still naked. Yeah. When the pair woke up on the sixth day, Julian knew he had to do something. Something over than trying to convince Carolyn to marry him so they could have sex. He gave up on that idea. Love that that was like the top of his mind, though. You know, typical 18-year-old male. Well, he was 22. Oh, sorry. She... Typical 22-year-old yeah. male. Yeah. Age doesn't change it, does it, really? No. <laughs> Typical male, full stop. Sorry, all of our male listeners. So that day, on the sixth day, he managed to lead them both back to the original spot. Their clothes had been dumped, buried. Right. So, so yeah, the clothes had been dumped. They'd been buried, but dumped. So he dug up the the clothes, because luckily he had a shovel on him, didn't he? And the pair of them walked out into the bush, where they were spotted by a passing farmer and rescued. Oh, wow. Now, the police were keen to speak to them both, obviously. After all, they'd both been kidnapped and they had to catch the kidnappers. But, you know, Rachel, something didn't add up if you didn't really know already. Under questioning, Caroline stayed firm to her story, told them everything she knew, and they could do nothing but believe her. She was either an Oscar-winning actor or she was telling the truth. The same, unfortunately, couldn't be said for Julian, though. He was neither an Oscar-winning actor or telling the truth, and they knew it. It wouldn't take a lot. Yeah, sorry. Do you know what? I didn't want to do my typical me thing and be like, oh, I'm not convinced about this guy. But obviously when you told me that he appeared naked and all of that, I was like, what? He said too? I thought he was the assailant. I, like... I did have in the back of my mind something's not quite right here. It wouldn't take long for him to confess what really happened. Wow. So let's see what really happened now. When he stops by to check on the animal, because there was an animal there, he wasn't lying about it, but it was a dead one. One he had planted that morning, along with a change of clothes and a balaclava, a knife and some duct tape. So when he got out of his ute, he went in the bush and he got changed. He was a kidnapper. Oh, my God. After he had arrived at the destination, he went to hide the car. And as he was doing that, he so he knew where the car was all along, by the way. So as he was doing that, he accidentally cut his face. So he decided to use that as part of his story. He went back and a digging Carolyn could hear was actually him digging holes to bury his clothes and her clothes because he'd already stripped off by now 
and he also had the ones that he cut from her. He then wow. he then lay in the ground, and we know the rest of the story. So why did he do this, Rachel? I think you can guess, but I'm going to ask you, can you guess why he did this? He wanted to get his end away. Yes, basically. That's right. It's such a pleasant way to put it, but yeah. Sorry. He, he did this for one reason and one reason alone. He decided that he loved Carolyn, but he couldn't wait any longer to have sex. They've been going out for two years, and they were getting married in like four or five months, so I don't know why he couldn't hold out for another four or five months but anyway. This is so, madness. Yeah. This is the, the wildest plot to yeah. lose virginity I've ever heard of. Yeah, so he actually thought that by being a hero and being oh faced with death, she'd sleep with him, and then they would live happily ever after, and she would always be a hero in... He would always be a hero in her eyes. He really didn't think through the consequences of having like search parties and police looking after them, looking no. for them, though, did he? No, because like, no. regardless of whether he was going to be the hero in her eyes, he was still going to get the case. Was still going to get investigated. Well, I suspect. I'm I'm guessing here. We don't know what happened, but I suspect he was probably thinking it would take less than a day, probably the same day she'd come. She'd sleep with him out of happiness. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm guessing anyway, but. It took him six days to realise that she wasn't going to say yes. So that's why he led her back. Imagine, imagine for six days, she's like, oh, we need to get rescued. And he's like, yeah, but look, we're both naked. Like, this goes in there. But anyway. a permanent erection. <laughs> this goes in there, did you just say? Yeah, but probably. Like, at some point, it probably would have been, wouldn't it? But oh. anyway, he would obviously be arrested. And he'd be charged with kidnap and making a false report. And while he was on bail, he decided to go on a run. So in his absence, absence, he was sentenced to five years and three months for the kidnap, for making a false report, but also for failing to attend. Oh, wow. Five and a half years? Well, five years, three months, sorry. Five years, three months. Right, okay. Wow, that's a pretty decent sentence, isn't it? Yeah. Now... I'm aware that we are on an audio podcast here. And I don't know, we don't normally get physical descriptions out, do we, Rachel? No. But I'm going to hear for the sake of you, Rachel, and our listeners. And it, it's there's a reason why I'm doing this. So Julian was fairly pale-skinned. He had blonde hair and blue eyes. So can you guess where he would decide to try to escape to in the end? Sweden. No. <laughs> he decided that he should escape to India. What? He he managed to obtain a fake Indian passport from somewhere. He dyed his hair black and he put lots of fake tan on before he boarded a flight bound for India via Singapore. Now, it's his actual passport photograph is pretty hilarious, but I'll... That's I'll so it. bad though, Andrew, yeah. isn't it? It is, yeah. So everything was going according to plan. He got on a first flight. He managed to make the change in Singapore. But sadly for Julian, just for Julian, no one else, the Indian immigration authorities saw through his poor disguise. They, they saw that his fake passport was fake. And there was also the small fact that he couldn't speak Hindi or any of the other languages in India. When they spoke to him, he didn't know what they were saying. So they promptly deported him back to his last point of origin, which was Singapore, People don't realise that when you get deported, you don't get back, sent back to where you come from. You get sent back to your, your last place you came from. Oh, wow. And 
Singapore immediately just deported him back to Australia, where he was arrested and he was sent to prison, given he'd already been convicted in his absence. Now, he did appeal with the grounds that his sentence was excessive, but that failed. That's not why I'm carrying on talking here. But there is a twist to this story, though, Rachel. And can you get guess what it is? No. Do, do you know what? I'm not even going to try because uh, this case has been a bit wild, so it could be anything. I'm going to give you a clue. It's probably a good twist for Carolyn, but not so good for Julian. Does that help? No, I can't. I genuinely, sorry. That's a terrible clue, but I just realised. So Julian, I'm going to tell you, like, how to put this. Julian, he wasn't born in Australia. That's not the twist. His parents had moved there from Germany. His sister was born there, but he wasn't. Now, his parents had applied for and received citizenship. His sister had it through birth. But he never bothered applying for citizenship because as far as he was concerned, he was Australian anyway. He oh, knew no, wow. Yeah, he knew no different. Apart from his escape and a few family holidays, he'd never left Australia. He didn't speak German. And anyone who has watched, I used to love watching this show, but it seems to be all repeats now. But anyone who had watched Border Patrol, do you ever watch that, Rachel? Um. So, no, but my parents are obsessed with it. I think, like, I was just about to say, but I'm not going to say that anymore. I was going to say, I think it's more of an older age kind of <laughs> program. But then you just clearly said it's great. And I was like, oh, backtrack. No, it's fine. Fine. I don't want to be an old person. So anyone who has watched it, and you probably know through your parents, know full well how strict the Australian immigration is. In 2014, while he was in prison, he was informed that his permanent residency visa was under review. Now, he thought he'd be fine. He was Australian. All his family and friends were Australian. He had a job offer ready for his release. So he was going to walk out of prison straight into a job. And apart from the crazy kidnap plot he concocted, he had a spotless record. Okay. So later that year, while he was still in prison, he was informed he would be deported back to Germany on his release. Now, Julian appealed to the federal court, saying that he should stay, but as the minister who decided to revoke his visa acted under the law, nothing could be done. He was flown to Germany, and I do admit, I snooped a little bit on him on social media. And as far as I can tell, he's still in Europe. Oh, okay. Do you know what the crazy thing is, though, Rachel? Yeah. His parents... And actually moved to Australia several years before he was born. Yeah. I thought automatically when you were born in a country, you gained citizenship. You do, for most countries, not all countries, for most. But they took an extended trip back to Germany while his mum was pregnant. And she actually gave birth to him in Germany, which is why Ah. he wasn't Australian. So it's only because they went on holiday, gave birth to him, came back with a newborn baby. Got you, got yeah, you. Because um, when, um, when you go into the United States pregnant, you, you, well, I, I guess it's the same with most countries, but you have to take like a letter um, yeah. saying that you're safe to fly because, um, because and, and that you're only like 28 weeks, 32 weeks, whatever the cutoff is. Yeah. Um, because obviously if I have a kid in America, um, they could automatically qualify potentially for a green card i'm I'm guessing the law has changed a lot over the years to stop people from doing just that 
But obviously it's like incredibly hard in countries like Australia and America to get citizenship, isn't it? So um, yeah. you, you, you got to wonder whether people do like try and pull that one. Um, so yeah, no, that, that, that's so unfortunate for, for him, but he has broken the law at the end of the day. So exactly. You know, so, sucks to be you. So that that's all really for this, this one. It's a bit of a short one, but it's an interesting case. Oh, right, it's okay. probably, if, if to Australian and Kiwi listeners, this is probably quite a well-known case. It was quite well-known, but it's just one that appealed to me and I thought, you know what, that's really interesting. So what what do you think of this one, Rach? Oh, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I uh, I really enjoyed it. Obviously, um, I had giggles a bit at the start. And um, when I'd realised, you'd probably clocked, that there was something quite sinister going on, I obviously stopped laughing because somebody's been a victim of crime here. Oh, definitely. But, but at the same time, it's a mad, it, like the twist and turn, it was a mad case with him being the perpetrator all along. So, um, yeah. Um, but he got, got his just desserts then being deported back to Germany and no, nowhere near his friends or family. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and deciding to like go to India of all places, because it, was, it wasn't straight away. I think it was a year or two that it was picked up. So he'd been somewhere beforehand. To be fair, okay. his parents' property is that big. So they obviously had a bit of money as well. He's probably hiding somewhere there, but guessing, allegedly. It is mad that he decided to ch- try and change the colour of his skin and hair to fit in to a country where he would have stuck out um, completely because, you know, of the colour of his skin and uh, the fact that he didn't didn't speak the language either. But it's as sh- well, it- like, why wouldn't he have gone somewhere like... Yeah, European, where you know they wouldn't have batted an eyelid at the fact that he didn't necessarily speak a language, but he was incredibly pale skinned and. But well, he had he, fake tan. But maybe he thought that exact reason that it wouldn't be, it'd be easy to get into India. I don't know, but it's obviously quite naive for the plan that he didn't affect because I, I naive, I, or I would just call it plain stupid. Yeah, I actually genuinely believe that he loved her. And he probably thought, he probably didn't think that she'd be petrified and she's probably been like emotionally and mentally scarred for this for life. But he probably just didn't process all the things it did to her would have an impact. He probably thought, it's fine because I'm going to be a hero and she'll fall into my arms. He didn't actually quite quite figure, like even if she would, even if it had gone as planned and she'd have fallen into his arms, you're my hero, let's get, Let's have sex because he didn't want to marry her at first in the outback. He's only he only suggested that when she said no to sex. But um, and he'd be thought of it enough to take the clothes away so she'd be cold to have to hug him for warmth. But um, <laughs> but he probably thought, oh, it's fine. She'll we'll have sex. We'll live happily ever after. He didn't quite oh. think. No, she's gonna be traumatized here. He didn't like. I bet. I bet he thought he was a genius as well when he thought of that idea. The planning that must have taken. Oh, yeah, but just the the idea that he was like, oh, she won't be able to say no. We're going out for two years, though, and I I don't know when the school year finishes in Australia. I'm guessing it's probably about the same time. I think they plan to get married in, like, September, October time-ish. Yeah, so so basically in Australia, their summer holidays start in December and are all the way through to, like, February because, don't forget, their... Um, um, summer holidays are in our winter, right? So, oh, so it would have been a December wedding, probably, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, November, yeah. end of November, early December kind of wedding, yeah. Even so, eight or nine months to wait when you've been together two years and if you love someone, like... I, He's like, waited that long, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, so I don't know what else to say to this other than he definitely has learned his lesson, hopefully. And I hope, Caroline, I didn't bother to try and look what she was up to because I thought with respect to privacy, I don't be saying what she's doing now because she was only 2008, so she would be what 32, 33 now. So, yeah, I don't want to be snooping into her. I didn't mind snooping at him, but not her. But yeah, it's 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 a strange one. People are strange, aren't they, Rachel? Oh, yeah. And I bet, like, there was for her a certain element of like mistrust as well in, in future boyfriends because. You know, she was planning on spending the rest of her life with this guy, and look what he did to her. Like, Definitely. tortured her for six days, essentially, yeah. under the under false pretenses. She's going to go on and meet somebody else, still with her religious beliefs, I imagine. And not only be like, you know, I'm not having sex with you until we get married, but I'm also not just going to trust you from day one. Yeah. Yeah, because he was part of the, her church. His, his parents were yeah. part of her church. So, oh, yeah, fully integrated and had the trust of her parents and everyone. Yeah. It would be a massive step for her to move on from that, yeah. Exactly. So shall I wrap this up then, Rachel? Yeah, let's go for it. This has been Season 3, Episode 17, called Will You Marry Me? And if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. They say young people are driven by their hormones. Now, if you're not so young, think back to when you were. And if you are, think to yourself, how far would you be willing to go to give in to your urges and desires? Okay, thank you, everyone. And we shall see you next week. See you next week, guys. Be there or be square. (laughs) 